Well, welcome again uh, to H2O. My name is Brian Wiles. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's great to have you here. Uh, I want to say a special welcome if you're newer, if you're visiting, if you're checking out H2O for one of the first times. Uh, you kind of came and you joined us on a Sunday that is a little bit different from us. Obviously, we've said it. We've tried to get the word out so that you know that we are addressing this very important topic of sexual assault as we are in the middle of April, Sexual Assault Awareness Month. And uh, as we head into this topic, I just want to kind of start off with laying the foundation and laying the framework that uh, as we're here and we're addressing this, truly our heart is to serve in this capacity. Our heart is to help people uh, experience healing and wholeness and address an issue that our world and our culture and our society is really grappling with and really trying to deal with. It, as we think about coming to this topic, you know, we only have about a half hour together, and so there's no way that we're going to be able to completely cover this whole topic. Uh, but at the same time, as we're addressing this issue, we believe that that we can truly uh, set a, a chart and set and chart a path for us to experience wholeness. And so I want to just kind of start off with maybe explaining why we're talking about this topic at all in the first place. Some of you may even be asking that question as you're here, saying, you know, I, I'm coming to church and Maybe you weren't expecting that we'd be addressing this issue. And, and I think really there's two main reasons why as a church and even our staff, we've actually been praying about this Sunday for uh, about a year now about how we can address this uh, topic in a way that is helpful and uh, a way that is hopeful. And so uh, the first reason why we're addressing this topic is because it is an issue that our world is dealing with, isn't it? I mean, even as you think about this last year, if you look at the news stories that came out, if you look at what much of what our culture was dealing with, where a church that also has a lot of college students and what campuses are dealing with, the area and the topic of sexual assault is massively important. And our world is talking about it. And, and the worst thing that a church, any church, can do is to kind of just retreat behind their walls and huddle together and not deal with what is going on in the real world. We want to be a church that engages with the issues that our world is engaging with. And so as we think about that. We even think about movements that have sprung up over the last year, movements like the, the Me Too movement or the Church Too movement where uh, men and women have boldly shared their story and, and, and brought to light what has happened to them. We feel like as a church, it's so important for us to engage with that issue. As you think about just the scope uh, of, of sexual assault and how many people it has affected, it's, it's really startling and profound. You saw some of those statistics in the video. Uh, just to kind of lay the framework even a little bit more, every 98 seconds in our country, somebody is sexually assaulted. Uh, one in four women in the U.S. at some point in their life will experience some form of sexual violence. And, and this stat, which many of us don't even know about, and again, oftentimes gets swept under the rug, one in six men will deal with this issue as well. And oftentimes for men, it's even harder for us to talk about because of cultural perceptions and everything else. And so this is an issue that if it hasn't directly affected you, it has certainly indirectly affected you. And we feel like as a church, we need to deal with it and address it. And then secondly, as we think about this topic, we believe that, that God has something to say about it. We believe that God is alive and active. We believe that what the Bible teaches us actually applies 
applies to this area of sexual assault. We believe that, that God wants to speak into it, that there's nothing in the world that isn't under the authority of God. And so as we think about every area of brokenness and hurt and pain in our world, the Bible has something to say about it. And there's hope for those of us who are followers of Christ to speak into it. And so that is, simply put, why we feel like it's important for us to address sexual assault here today. So as we're kind of getting started, I want to just give a definition uh, of, of what we're talking about when we talk about sexual assault or sexual abuse, because again, it's such a broad issue and such a, a vast topic. But the definition that we're going to use for our purposes today is this. Sexual abuse or assault is any verbal, visual, or physical sexual activity without consent. Okay, and so when we think about that reality, sexual assault being any verbal, vis visual, or physical sexual activity without consent, we realize that in a room like this, uh, with people watching online, as we go over to our campus service here in a little bit, we realize in a setting like this, there are many of us that have experienced that very thing that we just talked about. There's many of us that have experienced some form of sexual abuse. And even as we're getting started, I just want to just humbly say, as your pastor, as somebody who's trying to lead this church, if that has been your experience, we truly are sorry for what you've been through. We truly are. And, and, it's, and it's because of, of, of survivors like you that we want to address this topic. We want you to know that, that we hear you, that we see you, that your story matters to us, that your story matters to God, and there is hope for you. I remember the first time I had somebody share with me about sexual abuse that they experienced. I was in high school. I was a 17-year-old kid. I was uh, hanging out with this girl that we had become friends with, and we were hanging out one night just having a conversation, and all of a sudden the conversation went from casual to pretty intense. And uh, she said, I, I've got to share something with you. I've got to share this with somebody. She said, I'm going to tell you something I've never told anybody before. And I had no clue what was coming next, you know, after she said those words. But she said and went on to tell me about the sexual abuse that she had experienced at the hands of her brother for years. And I remember being in that moment and just like not even being able to completely wrap my head around it, not having any clue how to respond. And literally all I could do was literally just cry as she was crying and, and experiencing some type of freedom from actually speaking about what happened to her for the first time. And from that moment on, now that I've been in ministry for over 15 years now, sadly, I've heard hundreds I don't think that's an exaggeration. Hundreds of stories of men and women who have experienced some form of abuse. And we know that those stories are real. And we know that those stories are painful. And we know that those stories affect us to the very core of who we are. Uh, in in uh, the book of Genesis chapter 1, I think it gives us a little bit of insight as to why this issue is so personal and so intense for many of us. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, uh, it says this, it says, and then God said, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And then in verse 27, it says, so God created 
mankind in his image, God created them, male and female, he created them. Now, just as a side note, this is an amazing passage of scripture that was written thousands and thousands of years ago in a culture that had very little value for women. God, in his word to us, says that he created male and female in his image. We're both equally valued before God. We're both equally image bearers before God. And that is one of the amazing truths that has always had Christianity on the forefront of bringing rights to women because we believe that God created us equal in our value before God. But I share that verse because uh, God talks about this idea that we are image bearers of the God of the universe. Uh, we're different from animals. We're different from the rest of creation. We are actually image bearers of the God of the universe. And so there's something dignified about us. There's something dignified about every single human being. And it's almost like when we harm one another, and specifically when we're harmed sexually, it's almost like we're harming that image of God. It's almost like we're harming God himself because we are image bearers of him. You know, beyond that, we know that, that, that our sexuality is something that is sacred. It really is sacred. And it's sad that we live in a culture that has turned it into something that oftentimes is not sacred at all. But we know from the pages of scripture that, that our sexuality is something that is actually beautiful. You wouldn't know that from, from the way that, that our world and our culture lives, but our sexuality is something that in the right context, it's beautiful, it's intimate, it's used as a tool to create intimacy between a husband and a wife. It's something that's so good and so pure and so powerful. And that's why when we're harmed sexually, whether it's verbally, visually, physically, when we're harmed sexually, it cuts us to our very core because there's something powerful about that beauty of our sexuality that was created so good and so intimate that when we're harmed in that way, it hurts more than maybe other sins that can be committed against us. And so as we think about that, I think I wanted to even just kind of address this as we're, we're getting started. You know, some of us as we're here and we're talking about this very intense, very real issue, you know, we could be a little bit uncomfortable. If you're a little bit uncomfortable, you're probably not the only person in the room that is a little bit uncomfortable. That's okay. But what is so important for us is that we don't let that, that reality that it might be a little bit uncomfortable for some of us to talk about and deal with shy away from this massively important issue. In fact, as a church, we want to press into that rather than to run from that because if we allow it to lead us to silence, we actually can become part of the problem rather than part of the solution. So just because the fact that it could be a little bit uncomfortable for some of us to address doesn't give us an excuse or a reason not to dive in and say, what does God say about this issue that so many of us are dealing with around this topic? I want to look at a passage in Ephesians chapter 5 that kind of continues just to lay a little bit of framework of our heart behind what we're doing together today. It's Ephesians chapter 5. I want to look at verses 11 and verses 13. And Paul says this. He says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Okay, have nothing to do with darkness, but instead expose the darkness. And then he says, why? Because everything exposed to the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes light. And one of the tools that Satan oftentimes uses in our life 
whether it's abuse that has been perpetrated against us or whether it's sin that we might have in our own life or whether it's shame or whether it's guilt, whether it's a past experience that, that we've had, he oftentimes likes to keep those things in the darkness. And when things are in the darkness, they kind of grow and they kind of fester and they can become even bigger and even scarier and we can't get the right perspective on them. But when we shine the light of the gospel on issues of darkness, there's beauty that comes out of that. And God can even redeem dark, terrible, painful things that have happened to us in a way that he can actually use them. Even though he hates that they happened, he can actually use them for his glory. See, if we don't address it, we inadvertently become part of a, of a silence culture. Uh, and that's why movements like the Me Too movement and the Church Too movement, they, they've done such a great job of bringing light to an issue that's been kept in the darkness for so, so long. So that being said, that's our, our heart. That's our framework that we want to come to this topic with together today. Um, as I was preparing this week, uh, there was a lot of different resources that I was able to use. And one of the resources was from a church called Saddleback. Saddleback is a, one of the biggest churches in our country out in California. And within the last couple months, they had a Sunday very similar to this where they addressed the topic of sexual assault awareness. And uh, Rick Warren is the pastor there. He's uh, the all-time leading author. He wrote Purpose Driven Life, one of the bestsellers. I think the second bestseller next to the Bible. And, uh, and he had his wife, Kay Warren, and Beth Moore, if you know her, she's a woman who just exudes the truth and loves the Bible. He had these two women come and kind of help him as they've both been survivors of sexual assault. And so I want to share just a clip with you from that morning uh, and hear from their words, kind of some of their perspective that they have on this issue of sexual assault and how they handled it and can bring hope uh, to all of us as well. So let's go ahead and watch this video clip. This, this, this thing of process, Beth, I think you'd probably agree with this, is, 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 is a start-stop. It's a start-stop. It's two steps forward, three steps back. Just this week, getting ready for this message, I've been talking about the sexual abuse that happened to me for almost 30 years. This is not a new topic for me. I've been in process for a very long time. But this week, getting ready for this, a lot of old feelings came popping to the surface. And my thought was... <laughs> I thought I was done feeling that. Yes. No, no. I, did you have that this yes. week? I don't know if you did. You don't have to pretend you did or you didn't. But, but, but I did. Yes. And I make it sound good if you did. No, I, you know, I think for me, I, can, I cannot believe this is happening. Mm. So what, what sort of turned that for me? Because yes, where you feel a little bit of that, yep. okay, here we go. Okay. But it was offset by the fact that we are in a church and we are addressing sexual assault and abuse from the stinking platform. <laughs> from the platform. Okay. I don't know. I expect to hear more out of you than that. Okay. It's nine o'clock. It's early. I don't know. Okay. And what I want to say here as you're processing abuse and processing what, it is not your fault. Yeah. It is not your fault. It is not your fault. It never was and it never will be. And do not listen to the lie that if I had only done this differently, if I hadn't been there, if I hadn't said that, if, and then you start filling in all the things that are about you, if you had been or said or something different, it was not your fault. 
And as you begin to accept that, you can begin this process of healing from sexual abuse. Beth, you want to add anything to that? Well, I was thinking that Kay is so right. I agree with every bit of that. And I also believe firmly in godly counseling. Mm. But I, I wonder if I might also challenge you because of what she has described, that it is often three steps forward and two steps back, mm. that one of the things that you're going to find in the process is that Jesus himself, it is the healer that becomes so important to you, not just the healing. Yeah. So try to think of it that way, that I'm not just trying to get to the finished result because we're That's really good. gonna have that when we see him face to face, Kay. Right. But what, right. what happened for me, Rick, is that I, I fell in love with Jesus. Mm -hmm. I truly did. Because I think, let, let me say briefly, when you've been through what we've been through, what many of you have been through, when you have been overpowered, you become suspicious of people in power. And so needless to say, how that can undermine your relationship with God is titanic because he's the big one and no one can stop him and whatever he's got a mind to do, he can do. Well, that's all allergic talk to people with abuse backgrounds like ours, mm -hmm. except that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. That you realize that your God has no dark side mm. at all. That he is a defender of the powerless. Man. And he is a redeemer of the broken and a healer of those who have been just completely fractured by harm that has come okay. to them. So he, it, was, it was Jesus himself, the fact that he, how he felt about it. In fact, I want to say to you, one of the reasons I began to pray for my abuser with compassion was because the verse troubled me so much about how Jesus felt about those that abused. Mm. I thought then have mercy on him, mm. have mercy. I'm gonna be all right. Mm. Have mercy on him, God, have mercy on him. Mm. Well, that leads us to where I wanna go next. Man, I could listen to Beth Moore talk all day. Like she's got that Texas accent. You know when the, when the finger wagging comes out, she's gonna be sharing something good, man. She's a truth speaker, I love it. But isn't that powerful to hear these women that have been through uh, that experience and see and hear how God has given them hope and healing uh, through that. Rick Warren would go on to say something I think is helpful uh, for all of us to, to think about when we think about how God wants to enter into an issue like this. And, and I think it's important as well as we address this topic to realize these principles that, that we're going to talk about here as we move into kind of dealing with some of the hope that we can find don't just apply to sexual abuse that some of us experience. They really can apply to any type of, of hurt or brokenness or pain that we've been through. But, but Rick Warren said this when he, he talked about Jesus and how he wants to meet us in our places of hurt and pain and brokenness. He said, uh, sympathy is when you say, uh, I'm sorry you're hurting. And this is in your handout if you want to follow along with us. Sympathy is when you look at somebody and say, I'm sorry that you're hurting. He said, empathy is a step further when you look at somebody and it's like, I'm hurting with you. You know, I, I, I'm in pain. The fact that you hurt, it hurts me. But then he said, compassion is different. Compassion is I will do anything I can to stop your hurt. 
And, and as he was talking about Jesus and how Jesus lived his life perfectly, he said Jesus in the pages of, of the Gospels were never told that, that Jesus was sympathetic. Uh, we're never told that he, was, that he was just empathetic. We're told over and over again that Jesus had compassion on everyone who needed it. So much so that he went to the cross after living a perfect life and died for our sins. He died for our brokenness. He died for the pain and the hurts that we've been through because he's willing to do anything he can to stop that hurting for us. And so I say that to simply say, we want this, our church, to be a, a safe place to start healing. We want the, the relationships, the connections, what God is doing here to be a place for those of us who are in hurt from any type of experience we've had. We want this to be a, a place that is safe. And I also say when, when we talk about just being a, a safe place, I, I think it should go without saying, but, but sadly it hasn't always. That while this is a safe place for those of us who have experienced hurt and pain, it's not a safe place for perpetrators who have committed these acts. You know, one of the, the movements that sprung up in the last six months, not just the Me Too movement, not just the Church Too movement, but there's this hashtag movement that's called Silence Is Not Spiritual. And a terrible thing happened in some churches and that they thought that like staying silent and maybe not reporting some of these crimes and some of these acts that have been committing was a spiritual thing to do. Because, oh, hey, we can forgive one another. We don't need to involve authorities. We don't need to bring people in that, that might have uh, the authority to actually punish people who've committed crimes. And so sadly, there was like this sick, twisted culture in some churches that thought that silence was actually spiritual. And we just simply say here at H2O that we flat out reject that reality. We flat out reject the possibility that it's more spiritual to stay silent rather than to speak out. You know, there are consequences for sins that hurt other people. In uh, Luke 17, what Beth Moore was talking about, this verse, Jesus said to his disciples, he said this, he said, the things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourself. And so Beth Moore was saying, I was just thinking about that verse and thinking about the reality of how God will punish people who abuse others. It says it's better for a, a, a millstone to be tied around their neck. Here's the reality that scripture actually teaches us. Maybe you've heard this phrase before, all sins are equal. That's not true. All sins are not equal. Are you kidding me? All sins aren't equal. It's not the same to, to murder somebody and to, to steal a piece of gum. Now, what, what the heart of that, that message is, is that all sins need forgiven. The heart of that message is that all of us have sinned and, and, and any sin separates us from God. But all sins are certainly not equal in terms of the implications and the punishment that they deserve and the type of pain that they can cause. And so we say as a church that we will not be silent. Silence isn't spiritual. And, and as we think about that reality, the, the gospel is beautiful the gospel can be extended and applied to even abusers. We know that. 
That's one of the beautiful things about the gospel is that there is no sin that's too far. There's no broken person that is beyond the forgiveness of God. But our sins do have consequences. And so we need to deal with them properly. And so, of course, we would not hesitate in a heartbeat to turn in to the authorities anybody who's ever committed any type of sexual abuse. And we would encourage every single one of you to do the same. So there's forgiveness for all of us, but that doesn't mean that we wouldn't have to deal with the consequences of the sins that we've committed. Now I want to show you one more video clip. Earlier this year, uh, the largest sexual abuse case in the history of our country happened. You've probably heard about it. This guy by the name of Larry Nasser, he was a gymnastics coach, got convicted. There were 160 brave men and women who came forward and shared their story about how he had abused them. And uh, before his sentencing of 175 years in prison, uh, the people that he abused were given the opportunity to speak to him and confront him in court. And Rachel Dolner, uh, the one who really kind of led the charge to bring him to justice, was the last woman to speak. Maybe you heard her words. They kind of went viral uh, on the internet because they were so beautiful and they had such a massive impact. And I just want to take one minute and listen to what she said because I think it's going to transition us into uh, the, the last part of this message. So let's listen to Rachel as she confronts her abuser. But I want you to understand why I made this choice knowing full well what it was going to cost to get here and with very little hope of ever succeeding. I did it because it was right. No matter the cost, it was right. And the farthest I can run from what you have become is to daily choose what is right instead of what I want. You have become a man ruled by selfish and perverted desires. A man defined by his daily choices over and over again to feed that selfishness and perversion. You chose to pursue your wickedness no matter what it cost others. And the opposite of what you have done is for me to choose to love sacrificially no matter what it costs me. In our early hearings, you brought your Bible into the courtroom and you have spoken of praying for forgiveness, and so it is on that basis that I appeal to you. If you have read the Bible you carry, you know that the definition of sacrificial love portrayed is of God himself loving so sacrificially that he gave up everything to pay a penalty for the sin he did not commit. By his grace, I too choose to love this way. You spoke of praying for forgiveness, but Larry, if you have read the Bible you carry, you know forgiveness does not come from doing good things, as if good deeds can erase what you have done. It comes from repentance, which requires facing and acknowledging the truth about what you have done in all of its utter depravity and horror, without mitigation, without excuse, without acting as if good deeds can erase what you have seen in this courtroom today. The Bible you carry says it is better for a millstone to be thrown around your neck and you thrown into a lake than for you to make even one child stumble. And you have damaged hundreds. The Bible you speak carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and its eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. 
And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so that you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. And yeah, pretty powerful to listen to how brave and, and how effectively she just communicated uh, with depth to him. And so here, here's what I want to do with the last couple minutes that we have together. I want to do two different things. First, I want to just take a minute and talk to the parents. And even if you're not a parent here, you might be a future parent. And, and I want to just share a few thoughts because when I hear stories like Rachel's and others, you know, as, as a parent, one of the first things I think of is how can I do everything in my power to make sure that something like that doesn't happen? And, and I know that that's probably your heart as well. And so I want to share just a, a few resources, a few ideas for those of us who are parents. And I, again, if you're not a parent now, it might be good just to kind of store away in the memory bank. And then I want to close with just what it looks like to start to pursue healing and freedom in this area. So the first thing is this. In your handouts, there's three just kind of ideas, okay? And, and the first thing is we, we need to protect our kids if you're a parent we need to um, make sure that, that we are uh, on the forefront of protecting them. We don't need to be fearful. We don't need to be over uh, afraid. The Bible says that God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power. And so we don't need to be fearful, but we do need to be aware of what's going on. And so the first way that we can protect our kids is by being vigilant. That's the first thing that, that I'll say here. And uh, sadly, you saw in the statistics video earlier, 93% of children who experience some type of abuse experience at the hands of somebody that they know. Isn't that just so hard to even swallow and think about. Only 7% of people who are abused are abused by a random stranger. And so what that means is we have to be vigilant. What that means is parents is, is if there's something that doesn't seem right, you have every responsibility and opportunity to speak into it, to be vigilant, to check, to ask questions, to make sure that you are doing everything you can to protect your kids. That's the responsibility that God has given us as parents. So we have to be vigilant. We can't just check out on this issue. Think about the, the amount of people who've experienced this as children. And the reality is there is an opportunity for that to happen even to our kids. And so we have to be vigilant. We secondly can protect our kids by communicating with them. You know, this may seem like kind of, kind of counterintuitive or like, well, yeah, you know, of course I, I, I communicate with my kids. But, but I think that making sure our kids know that they have a voice, that they will be heard, that we will listen to them, that we have their back, that we want to know about what's going on in their life, gives us the opportunity to speak into and find out what's going on when we're not around. I heard this phrase um, early on when I was a parent, and it's something I've kind of really tried to, to cling to. Um, and, and the phrase is, if you don't talk to your kids about the small things, they won't talk to you about the big things. And I was like, you know, I think that that's probably pretty true. You know, if we don't have an open line of communication with our kids, even about just small random things within their life, they probably won't come to us if they're experiencing some type uh, of abuse or potential abuse. And so having an open line of communication with our kids is so extremely important. And then also with the line of communication, and I know this is hard for some of us, but 
we as parents and family members have to be the people that teach and talk to our kids about sexuality. That's our responsibility. It's not a responsibility we can pawn off on the school system, even though school systems can help or pawn off on the church. It's our responsibility as parents to equip our kids about God's view of sexuality. Why? Because the world may or may not share God's perspective, but we can teach our kids what God's perspective of sexuality is. You know, I know just a couple years ago, Sarah went away with Allison and had that, that talk with her and we tried to make it fun and they did some fun things together. They went to a concert and had a conversation. And I know like as, as a parent, um, some of us, we can kind of turn sex into like a six syllable word, so, uh, 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 X, you know, it's like, it's hard to get out sometimes. It's kind of awkward to talk about. Let's just be honest, you know, but that doesn't mean that we can't own that and push into that. It's a way that we can love our kids is to equip them as to what God believes about this and have an open line of communication in an appropriate way with them about God's design for sex. If they can't hear it from their parents who love them most, man, where are they gonna hear it from? So we protect our kids by being vigilant. We protect our kids by communicating with them. And then third, we protect our kids by setting boundaries. And again, early on when I was a parent, I had some mentors and some people in our life who said, you know what? You should never feel bad about setting a boundary with your kids. You should never feel bad about that. Because again, your job is to protect them. And so I, I'm not gonna sit here and tell you what every boundary should be or, or anything like that. I know each family's different. I know each kid is different. But I would just simply say, if you don't have any boundaries at all, you probably don't have enough boundaries within your family within your kids. So I know for us, we have boundaries with technology. We have boundaries about who they can be alone with. We have boundaries around a lot of different areas in our home and outside our home to protect our kids. And sometimes those boundaries may be even more than they need, maybe, sometimes, but we're trying to be vigilant with our kids to protect them and care for them. So as you think about that, maybe just an action step for those of us who are parents is just kind of assess those three areas and say, you know, how am I doing with each one of these areas? Is there anything that I need to speak into? Is there a conversation I need to have with my kids or with my spouse that I can help equip my kids? Let's close with this. Back to Rachel, back to, to Kay Warren's story, to Beth Moore's story. As I listen to them, like I'm just struck and just inspired by the healing that they've pursued. I'm struck and inspired by the fact that all three of them said that they could somehow, some way, even extend forgiveness to their abusers. And so if you're here and you're thinking, I just can't ever do that, that's not even what I'm asking you to do right now in this moment. I think God may take you there someday, but some of us may not even be in that spot right now. I want to ask, what does it look like to start to pursue healing? And this, again, applies to, to any type of hurt or pain that we have in our past. Well, I think first, and, and it sounds so cliche, but I think it is really true and really important. We have to realize that it is a process. 
We have to realize that it's something that, that, that continually happens. You know, Beth Moore was talking about the three steps forward, two steps back. And so we have to give ourselves grace, realize that it's a process, realize it'll play out, but it's a process worth pursuing because if we don't pursue it, then something that happened to us in the past, sometimes many years ago, sometimes for a short period of time, can continue to affect us for the rest of our lives in a negative way. And God doesn't want that for us. So it's a process, but it's a process worth pursuing. So the first step is this, to just tell your story, to be honest, to be open, to be real about what has happened. Rick Warren talks about this concept of the tunnel of truth. And he says that the, the, the healing comes through this tunnel of truth. And, and you will know what that will look like for you. For many of us, this may just be a conversation with one other person. This doesn't mean that it has to go public, go on social media, all these things. It means it can simply just have a conversation with somebody that you trust, somebody that's close to you. If you've never done that before, sharing your story is so empowering. John chapter 8, verse 32. One of the most famous verses in the Bible. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The tunnel of truth is the first step to understanding and starting to pursue wholeness in our lives. Tell your story. Tell it to somebody. Second is this. We have to get God's perspective. And we have to get God's perspective. So much of the continued pain that many of us experience from past hurts is because we have the wrong mindset about what has happened to us. Now listen to Kay Warren say, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Many of us, we live in shame and guilt thinking that something that was done to us was our fault. And until we understand God's reality, God's truth, until we get God's perspective on what we've been through, we won't be able to completely heal because in that truth comes freedom. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world any longer, but be transformed by what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so part of the process of healing is renewing our mind and, and getting God's perspective on what has happened to us. God, how can you speak into this? How can you show me that you love me and that you care for me? How can you help me to know that there is no shame, there is no guilt, there is no condemnation for something that was done for, to me, to, to a pain that I have in my past? We have to get God's perspective. And the first way to do that is to bring up somebody trusted into that. Now, some of us in this step, we may need to pursue counseling. Others of us, we we may be able to just have conversations with people that are close to us, but do whatever you need to do to get God's perspective on what you've been through. And then third and finally, I'll just say this. We need to mourn the loss, but dare to hope. Mourn the loss, but dare to hope. See, we need to mourn. We need to be real about what's happened to us, but we can't just stay there. Mourning is, is an amazing tool that God will use to bring us into a place where we can start to dare to hope again. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, it says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And so we serve a God who loves us, who cares for us, who wants us to experience freedom and grace and love. We serve a God who can redeem us, who can restore us, who can make us new. We serve a God of new things of beautiful things. You can take anything that's happened and make it for his glory and for his good. 
And so as we think about that reality, I just want to encourage you, no matter where you are in your journey, no matter whether this is an experience that has directly affected you or not, to pursue the God of the universe who loves you, who wants to make you whole, and who wants to redeem you and make you new. As we close up, I just want you to know that, again, we're a church that wants to commit to trying to help. And so even today, there'll be some staff or different people around the back if you want to pray with somebody during these last two worship songs, if you want to pray with somebody that you came with, if you want to wait and, and, and connect with us later, you're more than welcome to if you want to process it. We respect your desire to go about this however you may want to go about the healing process. We also are going to have some packets in the back, whether, again, it's something that has directly affected you or indirectly affected you. You have a friend who's been affected by it. It has some resources that might be able to help you. It also has resources for parents for some of the things that we talked about as well in protecting our children. We want to be a church that partners with God in making all things new. So let's, let's pray and let's invite God into our final time of worship together.